0: Hello, welcome to The Hurtful Truth. I'm your host, Garrett Kitchens. Before we start, let's take a moment to recognize our sponsors. Thank you, Nevada Union High School and Miss Lacoste for making this podcast happen. We'd also like to thank all of our guests and sources. Now I'd like to introduce our guest host, Dr. Callum Farage. How's it
1: going, Callum? Cheers, Garrett. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well, thank you. So, Callum, tell me about yourself. I'm from Sydney, Australia. I've studied fake news and media at Sydney Uni for five years now, dedicating my time to finding... The parallels between Australian and American news outlets.
0: Awesome. It's great to have you on the show. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Glad to be here. All right, let's get down to business. Today's topic is related to the book by George Orwell, 1984. We're going to cover The Ministry of Truth. Ooh, that's a good book. Yeah, it sure is. So we're going to have some guest speakers and some excellent interviews on today's show.
1: I'm excited to hear about today's topics. What's the first interview?
0: Well, we have Aaron Alaskari, an expert on fake news and today's media from Stanford. And we have Derek Weaver, an expert historian that studies fake news and propaganda. How's it going, guys? It's going good.
1: I'm well, thank you.
0: Alright, let's unpack this. Let's. So, Aaron, you're an expert on social media specifically, correct?
2: Yes, that's correct.
0: So, why do people use social
2: media? People use social media for various reasons, but the three most popular reasons are to support an issue or cause that they may feel strongly about, to share or pass valuable information, and to get a sense of fulfillment by nurturing relationships made online.
3: Hmm.
0: Interesting. Derek, you're an expert historian who focuses on news and its impact on history.
2: That is correct. I
3: have focused specifically in my doctorate work on the implications of fake news and how this adapted in our changing society. Although fake news and fabrication by the media has been prevalent throughout history, dating back around the 11th century, it has become especially talked about in recent times with the current social events going on.
0: Hmm, my greed. Alright, so Derek, tell us about the history of fake news.
3: The very first sighting of fake news hit Trent, Italy on Easter Sunday, 1475. Fake news took off the same time that news began to circulate widely after the printing press was invented. Real news was hard to verify in that era. Propaganda has been used as long as records have been able to keep track of documents in early AD. It has been used in history, especially during war, to make the enemies look bad and try to get support for the war. Propaganda normally never gave a reason why they were fighting. It just tried to get people to support the war. Countries that use propaganda Use movies, comics, radio, posters, and even postage stamps for propaganda. They would headline the propaganda with very emotional, provoking lines like wanted for murder. Then they would put something else that was actually true in smaller font, but people would only see the wanted for murder part. Propaganda was also used to get the message across that we needed to pull out of the war in Vietnam. Artists made posters supporting peace and trying to persuade people.
0: Wow, I would have never guessed fake news has such a long history. In fact, it's a little scary.
1: I agree. What is real and what is fake? Excellent question, Colin.
0: Let's go to Aaron and see if he has the answer in social media today.
2: Yeah, actually. In today's social media, very frequently, people are unable to identify what is real and what is fake. An example of this confusion between what is real and what is fake is an idea called slacktivism. Slacktivism means that although social media brings increased awareness to global issues, no action is actually being taken to create change. Users of social media nowadays typically fail to recognize that the activism that they are exposed to isn't actual activism.
0: Interesting. So tell me more about how social media is so prevalent in today's society.
2: Well, in the present day, thousands of social media platforms have been created to spread information, support political campaigns, and to create relationships between people who otherwise would have not interacted without access to social media. However, as I have said earlier, slacktivism is a major detriment on society.
0: Alright, now Dr. Farage, let's take a look into your area of expertise and discuss the parallels and differences between fake news and the media in Australia and in the United States. How is this influencing or impacting their respective societies? Hopefully you can give us an insight into whether fake news and fabrication by media outlets is just currently an American problem, or if this is a global epidemic.
1: Cheers. Well, currently in Australia, the most reliable study used to judge citizens' attitude towards the media is known as the Eldman Trust Barometer, headed by Steve Burr. The barometer is an 18-year annual study of attitudes across 28 countries towards four pillars of society, government, non-government, organizations, business, and the media. Currently it is showing trust in the media, in Australia, is at a record low of just 31%, and consumers are saying they struggle to tell the difference between fake news and facts. Huh. According to Steve Burr, the diminishing trust in media overall is driven by the public's growing distaste for social media and the way it spreads fake news. 65% of Australians say that they are not even sure how to tell what is true and what is not true, and 57% are worried about fake news being used as a weapon of propaganda. However, Australia's trust in traditional journalism, so reputable newspapers, for instance, has rebounded from 46% in 2017 to 61% in 2018. The global average for trust in journalism is 62%, so Australia is on par with the rest of the world. Wow, I see. Amazing facts. So this is like we're seeing in America today. Precisely. Currently in the United States, trust in the mass media to report the news fully, accurately and fairly is polling at around 32% similar to the numbers seen in Australia. This has fallen 8% from last year, when citizens were asked the same question. Interesting, very interesting.
0: So there are many similarities between the United States and Australia and how their citizens are responding to the media in the light of fake news becoming so prevalent. Precisely. Can you tell us more about the specific concerns or worries of Australian citizens in response to fake news?
1: Certainly. The Australian public is most currently shown to be concerned about 67% 67% are worried about stories that are completely made up for political or commercial reasons. 66 about stories where facts are spun or twisted to push an agenda. And 55% about the use of the term fake news, example by politicians, to discredit news meters they don't like. Huh, interesting. There are many parallels to
0: the United States.
1: Most definitely.
3: Alright, we
0: have heard some compelling stuff. Thank you Derek and Aaron for your valuable time and information. I think we have learned a lot. Now we're going to take a quick break and Callum will rejoin me for the next interview. Alright, we're back with Dr. Colin Farage. Up next, we have Caden Hennessy, an expert in cult of celebrity and mutability of the past. So Caden, tell us about yourself. Well, I'm a communications professor at Stanford University specializing in media and news. Alright, so tell me about mutability of the past, like what is it? And maybe some history about it? So currently, most students learn history as a set narrative. A
4: process that reinforces the mistaken idea that the past can be synthesized into a single standardized chronicle of several hundred pages. This teaching pretends that there is a uniform, collective history, which is akin to saying everyone remembers events the same. Yet history is anything but agreeable. It's not a collection of facts deemed to be official by scholars of on high. It is a collection of historians exchanging different, often conflicting analysis. And rather hear about all these conflicts between historians, American students would rather hear the side of the stories written by the winners instead of the losers.
0: Thank you, that was informative. Do you have anything to add, Callum? No, Caden's explanation was incredible. Great, so Caden, tell us more about the Cult of Celebrity. Cult of Celebrity
4: has been going on since the ancient Greek times, when the handsome and wealthy were given celebrity status and these people would often dominate conversations instead of more important things like the news. One big example that happened in the 1990s was when Kurt Cobain died. The news focused more on that than other important things. And in addition to that, in 1947, there was a massive industrial disaster that was overshadowed by the Jackie Robinson situation. The ship had been loaded with an enormous amount of ammonium nitrate in Texas. It exploded and ended up setting Houston on fire and creating a 15-foot tidal wave that flooded after the explosion. All of this was overshadowed by Jackie Robinson playing his second game in the Major Leagues.
0: Thanks, Caden. You really helped put cult of celebrity in perspective. To really prove it, we have our esteemed producer, James Nolan. James?
5: Thanks, Garrett. Hello, everyone. My name is James Nolan. I am a psychology major at Harvard and have been studying the cult of celebrities for quite some time now. In my research, there are countless amount of studies that show how citizens are more cultured in celebrity life than they are educated about American history. I've decided to conduct a study and interview a citizen on his knowledge of history compared to his knowledge of modern-day celebrities. With that said, please welcome our caller, all the way from New York. Jai, would you care to introduce yourself? Yeah, hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Jai Williams. Before we start, Jai, what is your view on the cult of celebrities? Um, I don't really know much about it, but according to what you're saying, it's that people know more about what's trending than the history of our country. That's precisely it. So what we're going to do in a few seconds is I'm going to ask you ten questions, five about American history, and five about modern trends, or celebrities, and we'll observe how much better you know one subject compared to the others, depending on your results. Sound good? Yeah, sure. Sounds pretty straightforward. Let's get started then. First question. Do you know when Kim Kardashian was born? Oh, Kimmy K, that's easy. Uh, she's born on October 1980, I think it was like the 22nd or something. Close. It was the 21st of October, but I'll give it to you. Ah, thanks. Okay. Do you know when the Patriot Act was signed into law? Um Patriot Act. Was that like the Constitution in 1776? False. The Patriot Act was signed into law by Bush on October 26, 2001. Ah. Next question. What is Justin Bieber's middle name? Um, it's definitely like Andrew or something. Yep, very good. His middle name is Andrew. Alright, next question. Do you know what the 13th Amendment is? Oh yeah, I actually do. It's the one about the abolition of slavery, right? Yep, that's correct. Good job. Thank you. Alright, how old is Taylor Swift? Ooh, alright, so Kanye and her had beef at the 2009 MTV Awards when she was like 20. So if it's 2018 now, then she's like 28 or 29, by way, right? That is correct, she's 28. Last question. How many electoral votes are required for the president to be elected into office? Yeah, I honestly have no idea. <laughs> um, what is it, like 35? Alright, alright, we're done here. I've made my point. Garrett, back to you.
1: That's some compelling stuff, isn't it, Callum? Indeed, shocking. So, why do you think that is? I guess it's just with all this social media, that's what they're pushing, instead of the real news.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that the media highlights celebrities more than it highlights history and what we need to know. It more c- more closely highlights, like, what's going down in media in Hollywood rather than what's happening in the rest of the world that has more impact on the people mm-hmm. of the United States. That's
1: just more interesting in what people want to hear.
0: Yeah, it brings in more money and more ratings. It's very, uh, very biased, and it doesn't doesn't really accurately show what we need it to show. So, Callum, now to get back to the the main point of this podcast, the uh, connection between 1984's Ministry of Truth and today. So, tell me about
1: that. Well, currently in America's social, economic, and political landscape, experts are seeing the development and emergence of factors from the dystopian novel 1984 by George Orwell. This is especially prevalent with the Ministry of Truth in the novel, as they are all about altering history and altering the facts to make um, the citizens of the book feel and think a certain way about the party. This is what we're seeing with fake news today, as facts and fabrication of the news is being used to influence and basically get the mass population to think a certain way about topics in our society
0: yeah you can definitely see this in today's media and campaign ads as a lot of uh recent campaign ads have been more attacking than promoting mm, we're seeing a mm. lot of uh you know two minutes of hate type type ads rather than you know like uh a good like oh i'm the best because of here my facts you know what i mean
1: yeah that's certainly true and that's exactly what the book is basically warning us against is that we shouldn't alter the media or alter um facts essentially to glorify or build up a certain personal thing when that is not necessarily true. Also, I think we've got to consider the uh, mutability of the past in the book and how we're seeing that in society today. What are your thoughts, Garrett?
0: Well, we definitely see it in today's society and, like, how we learn. Um, so we're taught very early, like, Christopher Columbus is a good guy because he discovered the, the new world, essentially. But as we go through... Um, school where we begin to learn that Christopher Columbus did some incredibly bad things like he basically destroyed an entire native population. It's not really shown and it's not really talked about that Christopher Columbus did these bad things. You have to learn these learn about these things Christopher Columbus did by yourself or on your own and it's definitely like it's definitely pushing uh, a certain agenda that everything that happened in history is more or less a good thing. Like even slavery in the United States, it's seen as uh, not really talked about, especially in the southern states where it was a major thing. It's not as much of the curriculum as it should be. like the party doesn't talk about bad things that happens in the past we also don't talk about bad things in the past such as slavery and Christopher Columbus this is a way of controlling the masses and making that making the government the higher power seen as pure and good and the book describes it very well the party is said to have invented the airplane but you know they had they didn't the, the airplane was invented far before the party even existed Um, This is a prime example of mutability in the past uh, in the United
1: States, as well as the party in the book. And we see this in Australia, correct Callum? Yes, that is correct. In our schools, we are taught how the white British settlers came to our country to essentially save the native population, but as we grow older, we learn that this was actually not the case. But However, it's so ingrained in our minds that we don't talk about the atrocities that they committed.
0: That's a very good point, Callum. Um, we've learned a lot today. We've had some excellent people come on and give us some incredible information. And it really does open your eyes into like, what George Orwell was warning in 1984 with uh, the Ministry of Truth. Um, so I'm going to close out. I'm going to say goodbye to Callum. Goodbye, Callum. Thank you for coming on the show and giving us your input and being an excellent guest host.
1: As we say in my native tongue, good day and goodbye
0: awesome awesome
1: um so that's been the hurtful
0: truth Uh, i'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors again thank you nevada union high school um also thank you miss lacoste and our sources it's been an incredible uh hour or so um thank you goodbye